And so what we're going to do today is we're beginning our summer series called Under the Sun, and we're looking at uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, I know we're going to be in and out a lot, right, over the summer, traveling, vacation, whatever. Um, so our writing team and our creative arts team have come together, right, to provide 20 written daily devotionals from Ecclesiastes um, for our church family this summer. You'll find them on the front page uh, of the LifePoint app as you go throughout the summer to try, uh, just give us all the opportunity uh, to, stay, uh, to stay connected. Um, the word Ecclesiastes means teacher, right? And so that brings up the first question, well, who, who's the teacher, right? So that's answered in chapter one, verse one. So we'll dive in uh, there. It says this, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So the writer of Ecclesiastes, the human author, is David's son, Solomon, the greatest ruler in all of Hebrew history. Um, and you're like, well, okay, that's interesting, but how did he become that? Because when he was really, really young as a leader, probably too young to be the king uh, in Israel, um, God said to him, through prayer, what do you want? Ask me for anything, I'll give you one thing you ask, whatever one thing you, you ask, health, wealth, power, long life, influence. He could have asked for anything and God said, I'll grant it to you because of your father, David. But instead of asking for those things, Solomon asks for wisdom. And for a brief moment, the scriptures say he was the wisest man in the world at one point. And so because he asked for wisdom, the interesting thing is he got all the other things, health, wealth, right? The power, the influence. He got all of the, just to give you a little snapshot of Solomon, he earned 25 tons of gold annually. He built a house that took a crew of 150,000 men, 13 years to build. That's almost big enough for some parts of Bexley, right? I mean, big, it's got, I mean, what we think of, like we think of, man, these things make you, he had a thousand wives and prostitutes which may make you question his wisdom at times, right? But he's gonna explain all that to us in the context um, of the book. So really the question becomes from the guy who can, quite frankly, he's the one guy who can say to all of us, I'm smarter than you, I'm wealthier than you, I've got more influence, more authority, more power than you. Well, what did he learn? Like, what does he have to teach us? Verse two, he says this, vanity of vanities says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now Solomon uses two phrases over and over and over again in the book. One of those, 35 times he says, vanity of vanities. The word vanity here just means breath. It means vapor. It means empty. Uh, conceptually, it means meaningless. Over and over again in the book, he's gonna say meaningless, meaningless. All is meaningless. He's kind of the Debbie Downer, right? The wah, wah of the Bible. Whenever you read Ecclesiastes, you're kind of like, man, this is, this is tough. But there's a point to what the teacher is trying, not just to teach them, but to also teach us. And that brings us to the second phrase in the book, verse three. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun, right? The phrase under the sun comes up 29 times in the book. And what that means is under heaven, right? So put those two things together. The theme of the book is where is there meaning under heaven? 
Where can you find meaning outside or under heaven? I think we would say it this way in our culture. This would be the question. What is the point of my life? Right, so we're going to say that together. I'm going to say part of it, then you say part of it. What is the point of my life? Let's try that again. What is the point of my life? That's the question that he is laying out in front of us, and he's going to force us into a spot where we have to answer. We have to give an answer. What's the point? Not just what's the point, but what's the point of my life? my life, my living. And so over and over and over again in the book, the big idea that we'll talk about every week is that God offers us a full life in an empty world. What he says there in the question that he asks in verse three, what is the payoff? What does a man gain for all of the toil, all of the living, all the investment, all the the work, the time, the energy, the sacrifice? What is the payoff? What do you gain? What is the point of my life? And interestingly enough, in chapter one, he's gonna offer two answers that you and I would offer. The same answers that people would have given to Solomon thousands of years ago are the same answers that you and I would offer today under the sun. A better world or a better life. Those are the only two answers that work outside of heaven. So pick it back up in verse four. He says this, a generation goes and a generation comes but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, and they flow again. Solomon says, first of all, you've gotta remember that the world cycles. So we think that, man, this is what I'm living for. I'm living for a better world. It's a philosophy that we would refer to as humanism. In other words, because I'm in the world, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going I'm to leave an impact. I'm going to leave an imprint, and I'm going to make the world better. And Solomon says, nah, not really. <laughs> not really. He says, think about it. Every morning, sun comes up, sun goes down. Sun comes up, sun goes down. Sun comes up, sun goes He said, the wind. Wind comes from the, from the north, goes on to the south. He's like, I don't know how it all works, but somehow it comes all the way back around again to the north and back to the south. And it just keeps cycling. It keeps doing the same thing. Water falls from the sky, flows into rivers, rivers flow into reams. Rivers flow into reams. Rivers flow into streams, right? These streams, all the water just flows. It flows into the oceans, heats up, goes back up to heaven, comes back down to the earth in the form of rain, back into the streams, back into the rivers, back. He's like, it just cycles over and over. He says the generation comes and a generation goes. And we're like, no, I mean, all the alpha males and the alpha females, right, in the room are like, no, 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 he doesn't understand. Solomon doesn't, he doesn't know me. Solomon says, oh yeah, I know you. I've seen it. I've seen it all. I've lived it all. He says, you know, really, we're just like a footprint in the sand, a footprint on the beach. Not like the footprints in the sand poem, right? The other one, Jesus carried me footprints in the sand. He says, your life is like a footprint. And what's going to happen is the tide's going to come and the tide's going to go and the tide's going to come and the tide's going to go. And nobody's going to remember. You're like, wow. So let's just put Solomon to the test. A generation comes and a generation goes. Think about your family tree, right? You're on the outer branches maybe right now of the family tree. So let's go back four boxes. Let's go back to your great, great grandparents, right? 
Can you tell me the first, middle, and last name of your great-great-grandparents, where they came from, where they're buried, and something about their life? Most of us fail. So let's, let's don't go great. Let's, look, let's go great-grandparents. Great-grand. First, middle, last name, where they're from, where they died, where they're buried, and generally what happened in their life. Most of us most of us are gonna struggle. Now they were alive 50 years ago. Your great-great-grandparents were alive 50 years ago. And for some of us, at least in the room, you don't even know their names. You're their family. You don't know where, where they came from. You don't know where they're headed, where they're buried. And this is life, Solomon says. Life just cycles. And for you and me, 50 years from now, 75 years from now, 100 years from now, Solomon says, man, you're, you're, you're just going to roll through. And when you're done, nobody's going to be like, just a generation comes and, and a generation and a generation goes. So what well, if it's not a better world, maybe, maybe it's a better life. Maybe, maybe that's the answer. Here's what he says in verse eight. We'll pick it back up. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been, what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of the former things, nor will there be any remembrance of the latter things yet to be among those who come after. It's not just... Um, it's not just that the world cycles, but then he also says life recycles. It's like, that's just, that's just life. Solomon says, you think it's a better life? That's what you're going to look for? Maybe a little pleasure, a little enjoyment, right? The, the perks, right, that, that you can find in the world. And I think what you and I notice is that there's this whole Groundhog Day syndrome about our lives. Wake up, coffee, work, more coffee, right? A little more work go home, maybe go to the gym, eh, maybe not go to the gym, eat, right, dinner, 300 channels, couple streaming services, nothing really on, go to bed, wake up, coffee, work. I mean, it's like this whole thing, right? And we think, no, 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 it's, it's, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna enjoy my life. Solomon said, you say this is new? Solomon had the most beautiful harem in the world. Solomon makes Hugh Hefner look like a nerd, right? Solomon could literally walk into his harem the most, and go, yeah, you, 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 yeah, that's good. And Solomon says to us, the end of all of this is vanity. It's meaningless. It, 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 doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't last. It doesn't, the enjoyment that you think, it's, it's like, it just cycles and recycles over and over. I, I love this. You think this is new? This isn't new. I look, we tell our history, right? Well, in the 1960s and the 1970s, we experienced in the United States the sexual revolution. Solomon's like, there's no revolution. It's been going on for thousands of years. It's the same thing over and over and over. You're like, man, Dean, this is depressing. <laughs> like, this is tough. But some of you will use this this week. I remember the first time that I studied Ecclesiastes in depth to teach it 
Angie and I had been married four or five years. We had a couple little kids. And Angie said, you know, we probably need to take out the trash. I said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's all meaningless. And then I took out the trash, just like I was, just like I was supposed to do, right? But what is Solomon, what is he doing? He's pointing us to hope. And we'll pick it back up there in verse 13. Here's what he says. And I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is vanity striving after uh, striving after the wind. Solomon says, listen, we're looking for it. We're looking for meaning. We're trying to find it. We're looking for the answer. What is the point, right, of my life? Where can I, where can I find it? And they couldn't find it. Hebrew thinkers couldn't find it. And they kind of hand the baton uh, off to, uh, to Greek thinkers. And they can't, they didn't call it, you know, the Old Testament, the word is koheleth, right? Where you're looking for meaning. And they couldn't find it. They hand it off to the Greeks. And the Greeks call it logos, right? The, the ultimate communication, the ultimate word, the ultimate thing that's going to tell them that they matter and that they, they mean something. And they couldn't find it which is precisely why the apostle John, whenever he starts his gospel, John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the logos, in the beginning was the word, in the beginning was meaning, and meaning was with God, and meaning was God, right? The same was, with, so what Solomon is trying to do is he's trying to say to us, there is no meaning under the sun. There is no meaning outside of heaven. However, if you connect your life above the sun, if you connect your life um, to heaven, everything changes. And that's why it's important that, you know, yeah, here we're living our lives down here physically, but spiritually you can live life connected to heaven. Matter of fact, the New Testament says that you and I are seated with Christ in heavenly places, that our life, spiritually speaking, is such. It is so secure, biblically speaking, that it's like we're already there. You might as well already be in if you are seated with Christ in the heavenly. So what? So set your mind, Paul told the Colossians, on things that are above, not on things that are below. Why? Because everything down here, all disconnected from what's above the sun, is vanity and meaninglessness and emptiness and breath and vapor, and it's all poof. So set your mind. So what does that mean? And this is the ultimate conclusion from chapter one. Either nothing means anything or everything means something. And there's no middle ground between those two, right? It's either meaningless, meaningless, all is vanity, striving after the wind. Nothing means anything or everything means something. Let's think about the difference between those two perspectives. Because for some of us here in the room, when we think about, um, when we think about generations, right, some of us come from generational spiritual legacy, right? Some of you, your parents, your great-grandparents, it wasn't just that they attended, you know, church. Rather, they sought to live out a legacy of faith in such a way that they made spiritual investments generation to generation, and that bears fruit, spiritually speaking, in your life, for some of you. But for others of us, you're not, um, you're not a Christian because 
of your family legacy. You're a believer in spite of your family legacy. You're the first Christian, right? If you think about um, your family tree, right? And the way that that breaks down, if you look backwards, right? In your family tree, what's gonna happen someday is that people are gonna look at it and they're gonna go, it was this way, it was this way, it was this way. And they're gonna get to your life and they're gonna go, wait a minute, something, something shifted right there. So when we ask the question, what is the point of my life? Some of you have already figured out. <laughs> it's a trick question. It's a broken question, right? What is the point of, if you're a Christian, right? if you're a believer, it's not my life. It's not your life. New Testament says, what do you, do you not know, right? Do you not do you not understand that you were bought with a price? Therefore, what? Therefore, glorify God in your body. Your body is not your own. Your mind is not your Your soul is not your own. You belong. You are bought with the price of Jesus on the cross so that you and I, there's, what is the point of God's life in me? Much better question. And matter of fact, it's much easier to answer because I'll just go back to that, that, that illustration. For some of us, legacy of faith, grandparents, parents, right on to you, right on. But for some of you, you are generational chain breakers. For some of you, for some, you're, you're not a Christian because your family encouraged you. Matter of fact, your, your family does exactly the opposite. They criticize you, ridicule you, make fun of you because of your faith and because of your belief and because of the fact that you don't just say, yeah, I'm a religious person, but you actually try and consume relationship with God to the degree that it changes you and it change your changes your attitude, your actions and your behaviors. And as God produces fruit in you, it's a little bit of an offense. So it kind of sets you back some ways. And so you're criticized because of it. You're ridiculed a little bit because of it. You're made fun a little bit um, because of it. But what will happen in the future is that people will trace your family line, right? And they're going to, yeah, that was there. That was present with my great grandparents. And that was present with my grandparents. And that was present here. That was present there. But wait a minute, what happened right here? Why did generational unfaithfulness stop right here? Why did alcoholism, why did that stop right here? Why did anger and abuse, why did that stop right, right there? What was different about that? And the difference is that you've chosen to connect. You're a generational chain breaker. You've chosen to connect above the sun and to bring eternal meaning um, and value to your life. So in light of that, either nothing means anything and chase that, right? Or everything means something. And I would tell you, chase that. Get after that. But this marginalized in the middle kind of view where you want a little bit of both of those things makes absolutely no sense. None at all. And I think the reality is for some of us in the room today, when you look for meaning, some of us in the room, you're never going to see it. You won't see it anywhere. And for some of us in the room, you're going to see it everywhere. And you won't be able to get away from it because you're connected 
to the so meaning is not a concept. It's not an explanation. Meaning is not a philosophy. Meaning is a person, right? It's the logos. It's the word of God, Jesus Christ, come for us. And when you're connected to him, you just see things differently. And you see opportunity differently. And so for some of us who've been trying recently, we've talked about having God conversations, right? Wherever, wherever the opportunity presents itself. Um, I got on, a, got on a plane last week to uh, fly down to New Orleans for some uh, church planting meetings. And I was in the C group on Southwest. Anybody ever been in a C group on Southwest? The most hated person on the plane is the C person in Southwest. As soon as you get on the plane, everybody looks down, right? Nobody wants somebody sitting right beside them. But this flight was full. And so I had to pick a spot, right? So I get about halfway, throw my bag up, and I'm sorry, I gotta sit right there in the middle. So I sit down, sit down in the middle seat. It looks to be like a 50-something-ish year old lady on this side of me and a 50-something-ish year old man beside me. Carol's on this side of me, uh, and Steve is on this side of me, and come to find out, Steve and Carol are married. <laughs> From Elkhorn, Kentucky, right? And I'm like, well, hey, I mean, I don't have to sit here. I mean, I could, I'm, I'm happy to sit there or I'll sit there so you all can sit together. And they were like, no, nah, we're good. <laughs> Carol likes the window. Steve likes the aisle. And so for the next two and a half hours, Steve and Carol are talking. <laughs> but every now and then, I just lobbed a little Jesus right, right into the middle <laughs> of the conversation. And you know what? Three billion years from now, me, Steve, and Carol may be sitting in eternity saying, hey, you remember that conversation? We had? Now listen, the results are not, they're not up to me. I just, God gives you the opportunity, right? You take the opportunity. And so everything, either everything means something or nothing means, nothing means anything. So for some of you young parents, God bless you guys in the room today getting up multiple times a night, changing diapers, putting babies, feeding babies, putting babies back to sleep. And there you are, 4 a.m., right? Changing a diaper, thinking, what is my life, right? What is my, what is my life come to? It's either or, it's, it's one of those two things. Either that child is the random chance collision of molecules and someday that child will grow up, die, be put in a casket and never remembered again. Or that child, is the special creation of God who knit him together inside of his mother's womb, raised him out and stamped the Imago Dei creation, his imprint on that child's heart and life, which gives meaning to all of the mundane, right, that comes with. So you can look at your family and say, you know what? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Man, that's Joshua, right? That's Old Testament. Joshua, he was there the first round when they tried to go into the promised land, but the people said that was giants are too big, comes around for the second time. And Joshua's like, hey, look, as for me and my house, I don't know what you're going to do at your house. I don't know about your house, but I'm going to tell you, as for me and my house, I know what we're going to do at my house. We're going to serve God. We're going to try and be generational chain breakers in my house, try to leave a legacy of faith for generation after generation after generation. So it gives meaning to all of the mundane, small things and tasks that you and I, right, that we interact with on a regular daily basis. What's the point? What is the point of your life? If it's your life, maybe you make the world a little better. Maybe you'll squeeze a little joy out of it. 
But if it's Christ's life in you, you don't, you don't sacrifice it. You don't yield to him because you have to, but because you want to. Because he's the one who left heaven, came to earth, and died on a cross and paid for your sins. He gave everything to you, so it only makes sense that the greatest joy of our lives is to give it all back to him and to lay it in front of him and say, you do with it what you want to do. And I have the joy of being connected above heaven such that everything matters. Everything has, everything has meaning. So every day is what? Full. Elizabeth Barrett Browning for a great, great little poem. She said, every bush, right? Every bush is crammed with heaven. Every, uh, every leaf, a, a, a glow for God, but only the one who sees redeems. The rest of us just sit around and pick blackberries. And you'll find it in places and spaces and corners because of the crucifixion and the resurrection. You'll see that there's a point, that there's clarity around why you are here, which is why we get to a point in a service like today. It's why we get to this point and we say, you know, this is the perfect time for us to celebrate communion together because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. You and I have been given this incredible gift. And because of that, we repent. Repent's not a bad word, it's a great word. That we turn our hearts God's direction because of what he has done for us and in us. That we say back to him, this is your, is your life joyfully given back to you. This is not a religious act that you just go through in terms of, of going through the motions. Rather, this is an act of spiritual gratitude where the Christian, the believer, comes and says to God, God, I'm so grateful for what you've done for me. And because of that, this life is yours. Let's pray to that end. Father, we uh, come today to lay our lives down again, freshly, new, in front of you, to repent because you're the greatest thing. You're the thing, God, that um, brings real joy. You're the thing that brings real peace. And in the midst of an incredibly difficult world, God, just thinking about the life, even of our church this week and the loss that people have experienced this week, the, the physical loss in terms of property, the spiritual loss in terms of relationships, the, the, the difficulty, God, that people are going through. You are what is real. And God, we need this reminder this morning of your goodness the goodness that chases us, no matter what our circumstances, no matter where we find ourselves today, the goodness, the goodness, the love of the cross. So God, we rest in that this morning. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for what you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.